our verse-by-verse study through, and uh, each week we're just taking a chapter at a time. This story about Joseph, this wonderful man, uh, he's a man of integrity, he's a man of faith, he loves God. It's a wonder that he loves the Lord as much as he does. He's in a foreign land. His, his dad, Jacob, remember Jacob got his name changed. Remember how that happened? He, he got his name changed because he wrestled with God. And his name was changed to Israel. Israel means God prevails. And so his name was changed. Now, the, this is the history of his life, Joseph's life, but there's a bigger story going on behind the scenes. And that's the story of getting Israel, that includes, it's Jacob and his kids, but Israel and all of the family from idolatrous Canaan all the way down to Egypt. God had prophesied, here's the verse, it's behind me on the screen, that I'm going to get your people out of the land, out of this land of Canaan. I'm going to get you down there for quite a while. Notice what it says. Back in Genesis 15, God told Abraham, your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs. Remember, the promise of land. Canaan, that whole area was promised to Abraham and his descendants. But God says, but your, your descendants are going to end up in a land that's not there. So you're not going to be in Canaan. And when they're there, they're going to be slaves. You're, they're going to serve and they'll be afflicted for 400 years. Well, that's what's going on now. God is going to get Jacob slash Israel. Remember that his name is Israel. You'll see his name change. And, and the question is why? Because Jacob is a Jacob. Jacob is a, a, a schemer. Jacob is a liar. Jacob's a bad dude, really. But he's becoming Israel. He's becoming someone, and it's taken all this time, really, even in our story today, uh, we see his sons and the, all that goes on in their lives. They're, they're bad as well. They're corrupt. God's got to get those men and that family out of Canaan. They've been corrupted there. He's going to take them all the way to Egypt. That's what this story really is about. It's, it's a story of God getting his, peop, his people sovereignly. It's getting his will done. It takes a while to get God's will done. I think Jacob and his sons are just like you, stubborn to the core, not always listening or, or obeying everything that God says. That's really what Jacob is and his sons. So he's ordered his son. There's a famine. He orders his sons to go down to Egypt because it's the only place that has grain. And we know why. Because Joseph and his wisdom and God leading and God is preparing the only place his people can go. And that's Egypt. So he's going to get his, his people down there. And that's really the backstory to this whole thing. The worldwide famine and the 10 brothers minus Benjamin, remember, they go down to Egypt. When they get there, Joseph recognizes them, obviously. We read about that last time. And when they stand before the, most, the second most powerful person in the world, really second to Pharaoh, that's their brother. They don't know who he is. He's clean shaven. He speaks in a different language. It's been 22 years since they've seen him. And so they go in and Joseph notices and recognizes them. They don't know who he, who he is. And he begins at that point in time asking them questions. And he, remember, he treats them harshly and he, he uh, accuses them of being spies. And that makes them go, wait, 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 we're not spies. You know, forgive us. We're, we're just sons of a father who has 12 and one died. And they tell this whole story. So Joseph's listening. We're honest men. Remember, we're honest men. 
They still were liars. Well, they go home with the grain. They came down to buy. They buy the grain. They're going to take it back to Jacob in Canaan. And as they go home, they've discovered that all the money they spent to buy the grain is in their sacks. And when they get home to tell their dad that, he freaks out. In fact, one of my first points, and we'll get uh, praying here in just a moment. This is kind of my intro. But look at verse 36 of the previous chapter, chapter 42. We see Jacob's sorrow just in one verse, verse 36. And Jacob, their father, said to them, you have bereaved me. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. Why? Because Simeon stayed down in Egypt, held hostage there to to get the brothers to come back with their little brother. And you, Jacob says, you you want to take Benjamin too? All these things are against me. So Jacob, he's He's grieving. He's, I can't believe my family's being destroyed. Uh, what about the promises of God? He, he doesn't mention those. He's not walking real close to the Lord. He's not trusting the Lord. Uh, we're supposed to see that as we read the story. Again, God is getting Jacob slash Israel and his family down to Egypt. So he's going to draw them down there through this food They've got to go for food. That's, that's the backstory of this. I call this chapter the compassion of Joseph. We'll read verse 1 after we pray. Father, I pray that you would open our hearts to your word today, tonight. I thank you for this fellowship. We thank you for a cool place to sit and study your word. We thank you for Sunday school teachers that teach our children. We thank you for youth that are learning the Bible and fellowshipping together tonight. We thank you, Lord, for your provision for us. And we ask, God, that as we've come here to hear your word, that you would teach us and help us to learn so that we can apply these truths to our lives. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Chapter 43 opens. My first point you'll notice on the screen behind me. Judah convinces Jacob to let Benjamin go. There's a family. We're looking at the family. Look at verse 1. Now the famine was severe in the land. And it came to pass when they had eaten up the grain which they had brought from Egypt that their father said to them, you need to go buy and you need to go back and buy some food. So again, the famine was lasting longer than Jacob had expected. Jacob told gave him money said go buy this much grain. They come back. It's really not enough. We don't know how long, maybe a couple of years worth, maybe a year. Big family. So they must have had a lot of grain, but it didn't last. That's the point here. So Jacob now is forced. And here's the point. Jacob is now forced by God to obey. He doesn't want to go back there. He doesn't want his kids going back down there. He thinks that, that he's lost his first son. He, he died, and his kids went down there. They were accused of being spies, and if they go there again, they're going to all be dead. He doesn't want to lose his family. So he's not trusting God's promise for the land or, or for the family, for the large family. That was one of the promises, not trusting God. And he won't let his kids go. There's been a big argument we read about at the end of this chapter, chapter 42, And he's arguing with his oldest son, and now he's going to be arguing with a different son here. It's Judah who steps up to his dad here. Verse 3, but Judah spoke to Jacob, saying, the man, that would be Joseph, that would be his brother that he didn't recognize, the man down in Egypt solemnly warned us, saying, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Don't come back without your, your little brother. 
If you send our brother with us, we will go down and buy food. So that's Judah. He says, come on, dad, you got to send Benjamin with us. We have to take him. We gave our word. Our brother Simeon's down there. That's the only way we can return. Now, I think this is not the first time they've had this conversation. They had it when they returned, but Jacob is not listening. He's not going to listen. No, we're not going to talk about that. I'm not letting you go. Don't even ask me anymore. And so God has to do something to get his attention. Sound familiar? <laughs> God does that in our lives, doesn't he? He um, does things in our lives to bring us to a point to where we have to obey him. And I believe it, that's God's grace and his mercy and his love for you and I. He's going he's to get his will done. Now, you can fight it like you can fight God. You can think you have the ability, but you don't. You've got to submit, and, and that, that's what we're learning here, that Jacob or Israel, he he's, has to submit here in this story. Verse 5, but if you will not send him, we will not go down. So Judah stands up to his dad, says, you've got to send Benjamin, or we're not going to go down there to buy food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, this is what he told us, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. So Israel said, so we've gone from Jacob to Israel. You'll see these names interchanged. Same guy. Name was changed by God to Israel. But we see his name is Jacob when he's really disobedient. And then the writer, Moses, will give us the name Israel in the narrative here. It's when he does something that's, you know, good. I, I, I really love the way it's written. But he says, why did you deal so wrongfully with me as to tell the man whether you had another brother? Why, why didn't you lie for me? Why, why did you tell him that you had a brother? I mean, still, Jacob is not trusting God. He's not listening to his sons. Why didn't you guys just lie? I mean, we're in this trouble because of you. He's only considering himself here. And I, I, I love, again, the narrative here. He's revealing who he really is. Remember, he's the deceiver. When you learn about Jacob at the very beginning of the Bible, he's a deceiver. I met a, a brother this past Monday night at a, a Bible study I taught, and his name was Jacob. And I didn't say anything. <laughs> and if your name's Jacob tonight, that's okay. It's a good thing. And it's no, but... We learned about Jacob, and I, th- I thought, boy, it'd be hard to name your son Jacob after learning all these things. And I know there's some Jacobs here, and I don't mean to be offensive, please. But, but it's so interesting. You know, when you read about him, he, he's deceptive. This Jacob in the Bible is so deceptive, and he, he says to his sons, why didn't you just lie for me to get out of the, uh, the problem, to get out of the, the issue that you were in? He blames his sons for being honest about their little brother, verse 7. But they said, the man asked us pointedly about ourselves and our family, saying, is your father still alive? Have you another brother? And we told him, according to these words, could we possibly have known that he would say, bring your brother down? We didn't know what was going on. We, we were just being honest. We were scared. We were in prison for three days, Dad. I mean, we, we were threatened when we were down there. Now, in verse 8, we see that Judah here, he really begins to be the leader of his brothers. He's not the oldest brother here. Then Judah, verse 8, said to Israel, his father, send the lad with me. Dad, he's, 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 Dad, come on, send the lad with me and, and we'll arise and we'll go 
that we might live and, and not die. We're, we're running out of food, Dad. We've got to go down here and, and get this food, both we and you and also our little ones, our children. I myself will be surety for him. Uh, you can, uh, I'll give my life for this. I'll, you've got my word. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. So he's serious about his commitment here. Verse 10, for if we had not lingered, surely by now we would have returned the second time. That kind of indicates that they've been talking about this over and over, month after month, and the supply level gets lower and lower, and they keep going to their dad, and I'm not going to talk to you guys about it. And finally, Judah stands up, and he says, listen, you've got to let us go. My life's the surety. My life's the guarantee. You can trust me, Dad. And, and listen, we've got to go right now. And we can't even wait any longer. We'd already be back if you would have let us listen to us at the beginning of this whole thing. So Judah, I love Judah and his, his viewpoint. Jacob's viewpoint is me and mine, and you offended me. Judah's viewpoint is we and us and our. I, I love that. I think they're learning. These, these boys that are so bad, they're learning here. You go all the way back to chapter 42, verse 36, you'll see that. You'll see the Jacob, and he's only concerned about himself. So Judah now, he's saying they can't return to Egypt without Benjamin, and he offers himself. So Jacob agrees to let Benjamin go. My next point, verse 11, and their father Israel said to them, if it must be so, then do this. Take some of the best fruits of the land in your vessels and carry down a present for the man. Maybe we can appease him in some way. Take, take, what did they grow there? What could grow without a lot of water? Pistachio nuts. That was one of their big exports from Canaan. They had nuts and they had dates, those kinds of things. So he's talking about, let's, let's, let's get the best of the pistachios. Let's get the best of the dates. We're going to take them down there to appease him. A little balm, a little honey, spices and myrrh, pistachios and almonds. Sounds pretty good to me. Take double money in your hand. This time, take double what he's going to ask of you. And, and remember, this family and Jacob, he's filthy rich. God's blessed him. Whatever he puts his hand to, he makes money. And this whole family from Abraham on, they're just filthy rich. These boys are growing up in a really rich, they have so much money, they can pay double for the grain here. And he says, so take double money in your hand and take back in your hand the money that was returned in your ma the mouth of your sacks. So pay him double what he, and then bring all the money back. So give him all this money, just pile the money on. So you know he had a lot of, of money. Take your brother also, there it is, verse 13. He's changed now. He's, he's going along with their plan to take Benjamin. He says, take your brother also and arise and go back to the man. Now, what we learn from this when you think about it briefly is that God always wins. That God will always accomplish his goal. It might take some time. And I'll be honest to tell you that I'm, I'm the... A donkey, you know, I'm stubborn. I, I don't always want to change or do it. I, Lord, I've got a better way. I, I'm going to do it my way. And then you fail, and you try it again. You get back and you fall. And the Lord's merciful, Lord, the Lord's gracious, and finally you'll do it his way, right? 
And there's joy, and it might be hard to do it his way, but you do it his way, and he accomplishes his goal. But here in Jacob's life and his family, he's using hunger. He's using hunger to get them to, to uh, J- Jacob to capitulate to his sons, first of all, and finally to get down to Egypt. So he's using hunger to accomplish his goal here. And Jacob reluctantly agrees, verse 14, and may God Almighty give you mercy before that man that he may release your other brother, that's, that'd be Simeon, and Benjamin. And then, then he says this comment. Look at the comment. If I'm bereaved, I'm bereaved. <laughs> it's like, whatever. I can't, there's nothing I can do. You see, he's hopeless at this point, and that's where God wants us. He wants us at the end of ourself where we say, God, I, I won't try. I won't move. I'm just going to wait on you. I've tried it my way. It doesn't work. In this case, he was doing it his way, and finally God forces him into a place where he has to be obedient and let Benjamin go. Again, I want to divert for just one moment for some application because this is really important, and here's where we can really learn something and apply the scriptures. But this whole episode really reveals how weak and ungodly Jacob's methods were. His methods don't work. They didn't work. They're very self-centered and, self, and, and selfish. And so he, as the leader of his family, kind of really illustrates poor leadership. So this is kind of the negative side of this whole thing. This, his methods, Jacob's methods of leadership, none of which I recommend, by the way. As you read, you'll, you'll notice that. There are six examples of his poor leadership. I'll just hit them really hard. Jacob's poor leadership, number one, deal with problems tomorrow. You don't want to do this, this is, but this is what he did. Deal with problems tomorrow. Jacob delayed. He delayed so long that the his son had to say, he had to beg, Dad, my, your grandkids are hungry. There's no food for them. We need to act. We need to do something out. And he was, no, nope, no, nope, I'm not going to listen to it. And finally, finally, he, when he was running out of food, he had to, to capitulate. He had to go along with that plan. Again, for some of us, it's sin in our lives. It takes a while to, to finally admit or to confess your sin. Don't wait. Deal with your problem today. Jacob's poor leadership. He, he said, let's put it off till tomorrow. Number two, honesty is not the best policy. That was Jacob's mindset. That's what Jacob thought, that honesty is not the best policy. The best policy is lying to get out of your problem because that's what he had always done. He was a deceiver, Jacob. And so he kind of reverted back to his normal self and, and deceiving others He thought that not telling the truth would have benefited his family. That's his position there. And he rebukes both of his sons. And in this episode, Judah, he rebukes him for, why did you tell him the truth? Why did you tell him you had a brother? The application here is, I wonder how many times we have fallen into that same place where where we believe that telling a truth or a half-truth will benefit us more than telling the truth. Here's the truth, Christians. You have the Holy Spirit in you. You have God watching. You have angels protecting. All of those things are truth in the scriptures. So when you speak a lie for your own benefit, guess who hears? Is God going to bless that? If you want to be in a place where God blesses you spiritually, 
you can't lie. You can't tell half-truths. You have to tell the truth. You have to be honest. But Jacob, honesty is not the best policy. Again, Jacob's poor leadership illustrated here. And again, when we try to avoid our problems by telling a lie, we're going to find ourselves in a real difficult place. Jesus said this. Look at this verse here, John 3.20. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. When you're... <laughs> When you're lying, and I laugh because I've done it, when you, when you lie, you always do it in the dark. You always do it quietly. You don't want anybody else to hear what you're saying. You, you want to be hidden alone, watch, looking at pornography at, late at night, men, when nobody's watching. Doing things that are sinful when no one else is in the dark. That's what he's, Jesus is saying. But if you're living in the truth, you'll do it in the light. And you can stand in the light. And you can glorify God in the light, in truth. That's what he's saying. The third poor leadership quality, real quickly, is always look out for number one. Just look out for yourself. Jacob's leadership was only serving himself. He wasn't really considering his family or his grandkids and their needs. All he could think about is it was his own loss of his children, and and it was just me, myself, and the way I want to do things. I don't want to listen to my son's you know, Jacob at this time is getting up in years. He's over 100 years old, and he's just thinking about himself. It was Judah. He said, Dad, Dad, you've got to do this. He urged his father to think about the kids. Remember, he said, my family, don't, they don't have enough food. Think about your, your decision, Dad. And he urged his father in that way. But, but Jacob's self-centered leadership was difficult to follow. It was hard to follow for everyone else. When you're righteous, leaders, husbands, you're leading your wives. When you're righteous, she's got no problem following you. When you're hiding things and, and, and there has, there's no conversation and you're secretive, you're deceptive, she's not going to follow you. Pastor Lee, my marriage is a mess. Well, if you're living like Jacob, if you're hiding things from your wife, if you're not disclosing and talking and having conversation, then what do you expect? You're being a lousy leader and she's not following you. Be a righteous leader. Same thing in the church. You know, if we had a bunch of lame leaders in our church, it'd be hard to follow. But I am very thankful for the leadership we have here. The women in the women's ministry, the men in the men's ministry, and and the elders and board members we have in our church. They're righteous men. They love the Lord. They give good counsel. And it's easy to follow them. It's easy to come to church and follow. So understand those things. I think it's really important. Always look out for number one is Jacob's way, but we're to be serving others. Number four, blame everyone else for your problems. Jacob tried to put all the responsibility. If you wouldn't have told him the truth about Benjamin, we wouldn't have this problem. See how he did that? He just blame shifted. Brothers and sisters can't live that way. Again, we can learn from Jacob's uh, poor leadership here. And then number five, you can fix anything or everything with money. If you have enough money, you can fix anything. That's Jacob's mindset here. God had prospered Jacob and his family. Like I said, he's a rich 
wealthy man, and he thought that the nuts and the almonds, the honey and the, and the double uh, money that was going to go back plus the extra money, all this money, it was going to solve the problem. Money's, money never solves the problem. I, I think some of you know that because you probably don't have a lot of money. Most of us don't have a lot of money, which is a good thing. The love of money is what creates evil and envy in the heart of man. It so easily corrupts men. Oh, but Pastor Lee, I'd love to have just a little bit more. You know what? God has given you all that you need. Are you satisfied? Are you thankful that the Lord's given you what he's given you? You might be living at home with your parents and, and you just have a clothes in your closet. Thank God. You might have a career, 30 years, and uh, you're about to retire, and God has been so faithful in those three. Thank God. But in this case, you know, money can just fix it. I'll just give this. I'll give that. I think most of us choose money rather than prayer to solve our problems because we live in a world where we see it and it's spent and where, where every commercial tells us to buy me, buy me. You need the newer car. You need the better computer. You need the, the more technology. I love technology, maybe not as much BJ, but, but I love technology. And, and, and you, you want the latest iPhone, you, you, and you start spending, spending for all those things. But that pursuit, that pursuit, thinking that I'll be better because I spend the money, it's a lie. Wouldn't you agree? It's a lie. We need to understand that. Jacob, money will fix everything. It's, it's wrong. Poor leadership. And then finally, number six, when all else fails, trust God. Instead of trusting God first, well, you know, whatever, I'll trust God. It, again, it's no accident that Jacob mentions God last, very last. He tried all these other things, manipulation, deception, even with his sons. But when all else fails, you know, trust the Lord. Verse 14 again, and may God Almighty give you mercy before man that he may release your older brother. He's finally saying, well, may God do it then. I've tried. I can't do it. So may, I guess God will have to just do it. I mean, what an attitude Jacob has here, really exposing uh, truly who he is. There's no mention that, that maybe God is working for good. There's no, no thought about, well, you know, I need to spend more time in prayer. Maybe it's me and, and maybe it's my desires over God's. But Jacob, he's a weak leader. He's, he's a deceiver. Okay, let's get back to the text now. In verse 15, we see Joseph's brothers return to Egypt here. Now, they're going to go down to get their food, verse 15. So the men took that present and Benjamin, and they took double money in their hand and arose, and they went down to Egypt, and they stood before Joseph. Again, this is kind of interesting. When they get to Egypt, Moses is writing the narrative, and he says, as soon as they get to Egypt, they run into Joseph. How do you think that happened? As I thought about this story today, I'm thinking that from the very day they left the first time, Joseph, the second most powerful man in Egypt, tells everybody under him, if you see these Hebrews come into the, into the country, you let me know. I want to know as soon as they step foot in this country. And everybody's on alert for the Hebrews. Why? Because they had beards. The Hebrews always had beards. Egyptians always shaved. Everybody knew who they were. And there were so many people coming into the land 
to buy food. These people were coming across the border to get food. So they would have noticed who they were. And I believe that's why it's written this way. As soon as they come in to the land, he knows. And they stand before Joseph there. Verse 16, when Joseph saw Benjamin, notice, the first thing he looks for is not the other brothers. He's looking for his biological brother, Benjamin. Benjamin and Joseph are bio brothers, their mother, Rachel. And this family, you know, they had multiple mothers in this family, right? We've read about this kind of a real interesting blended home, you could say. But these two are brothers, and so I think they're really close. They grew up close. They were, you know, hitting the ball, chasing the, the, the lamb around the yard, just doing stuff together. The older one watching after the younger one, Benjamin, he, he loved his little brother. And so the first thing he looks for, where's, there he is, Benjamin. He's just looking at him. He saw him, it says. And he said to the steward of his house, Joseph says, take these men to my home and then slaughter an animal and make ready for these men will dine with me. And notice the time they're going to dine. See that, what it says there? Not at dinner. When? Noon. He is so stoked in seeing his family. He, is, he loves his family, and he's brokenhearted because he's been estranged from them for 20 years. And he sees Benjamin. He's so stoked on his family right now. He, he's going to throw this feast for them. He's going to throw a party in a sense. If he slaughter the animal, make ready for them because we're going to dine together. Now, when he's speaking in Egyptian... The brothers, I don't think they can understand what's going on, but they're wondering, why is there so much excitement? Now, everybody's running around, and there's, you know, the walks cooking, the fire's going, the animals are dying, you know, they're going to, they know something's going on. There's, there's a feast happening here, and they're wondering, what, what is, what's going on here? We just came to, to buy some food. Something's different uh, with what's going on here. In verse 17, then the man did as Joseph ordered, and the man brought the men into Joseph's house. And notice verse 18, the men were afraid. Joseph's brothers are afraid. Why? They're, they were already condemned as spies. They had the money with them when they left the first time, so now they're thieves. They're thinking that something big is going to happen. They're afraid, and when they go to his home, they're thinking, this is a trap. He's going to lure us in there, and then he's just going to kill us right here. They're truly afraid for their very lives here because they were brought into Joseph's house, and they said, it's because of the money which was returned in our sacks the first time that we're brought here so that he may make a case against us, and notice the Hebrew way or the, the Bible says that they might fall on us, in other words, kill us to take us as slaves with our donkeys. I love that. They're going to they're gonna take us. They're going to wipe us out. Again, last study, if you'll recall, was all about their conscience being awakened. I mean, up until that point, they were just kind of living large and doing whatever they want. And, you know, one had sex with a concubine and another one, you know, killed his sons. It was just a mess. And then, because of the accusations, the three days in prison, 
they start getting guilty about the, why did you why did you throw him in a pit? I don't. Why did you want to kill him? Why did we get rid of him? In the first, why did we sell him to the? Remember that whole conversation in the last. Their their conscience was awakened, and now in this text we see again they're afraid. And then they start talking about, well, maybe it's because of the money. And I'm sure they talked about other things as well. Maybe they thought, if we, we, we should have never sold him, our brother, into slavery. We should never have turned on our father or lied to our dad. I, I think their conscience are wide awake at this point. But bottom line, they're afraid. So now they're going to take the steward aside and try to make a deal. The guy that Joseph gave the instructions to take these guys into the house and set up a meal. So they take the steward, that's what it says here, the steward, verse 19, they drew near to the steward of Joseph's house. They talked with him at the door of the house and said, sir, we indeed come or came down the first time to buy food. But, but let me tell you what happened. We, we came to a, our first camp and we opened the sack for, to feed our, our herds and each man's money was in the mouth of the sack. Our money in the full weight. And so we brought it back. Here it is right here. And I can just see them. They've got it. Here, here's all this money. And, and they have all this stuff. They dump it on the floor. The, the steward. The steward who was probably the one that set the sacks up to begin with. And we have brought down the money with our hands to buy food. We do not know who put our money in our sacks. Again, they're afraid. And they give this reason for their defense. You know, it wasn't us. We, we gave the money away. Somebody else put it in. It wasn't us. We brought the money back. That's their, their uh, whole thing. And because they, they're afraid, they think they're going to be arrested. And so the steward, oh, I love this. It's like, chill, you guys, calm down. Cool. You know, it's, what, what are you so worried about? I love the way this happens. He says, peace, verse 23, peace be with you. Don't be afraid. And then notice what he says, your God and the God of your father has given you treasure in your sacks. And then the steward says, I had your money. He walks around the hallway and he brings their brother Simeon out. This is kind of an interesting reunion now. They're like, their jaws are dropping because what do you mean you did it? Why are you reminding us about our God? You're in Egypt, you're an Egyptian. Egyptians worship an entirely different form, an idolatrous God. God is speaking through this man to the, the brothers. Maybe the steward was so close to Joseph because Joseph had shared about the God of his fathers. And now he's kind of knows that these are his brothers, but has, he's not going to say anything. The God of your fathers, he says. I, I love the way he, he presents to them. Instead of punishment, they're blessed by God. That's the reminder. They're afraid he's going to kill us. He's going to fall upon us. I don't know what's going to happen. And instead of being chastised or, or uh, reprimanded, corrected, they get graced. They get graced here. It's a beautiful truth. Verse 24, so the man brought the men into Joseph's house and gave them water, and they washed their feet, and he gave their donkeys feed. Then they made the present ready for Joseph's coming at noon, for they heard that they would eat bread there. Now, 
What happens next was really prophesied. This is the story. It's really important to hear this. This is the story that's really important that we've been kind of looking forward to from the very beginning here, and it's, it's in these verses, but it's Joseph's brothers now. They're going to bow down before him. Here it is, verse 26. And when Joseph came home, they brought him the present. Remember, what, what was the present? Nuts, almonds, pistachios, honey, all that stuff. They brought the present which was in their hands to the house. And notice what they do. They bowed down before him to the earth. You remember the story? Verse 27, then he asked them about the well-being, their well-being. And, and then he says, is your father well? The old man of whom you spoke, is he still alive? It's been some time, a year or two since they were last there. And they answered, your servant, our father, is in good health. He's still alive. And then notice what they do again. They bowed their heads down and prostrated. They fell down before him. This, this is where we see God sovereignly working, providentially working. This was God's plan all along. It was prophesied before. This was all. Turn back to chapter 37 real quick. We'll read it. I want you to see it again. You, I know you know the story, but just to tie in context together here. Chapter 37, verse 5. Now Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. So he said to them, please hear this dream which I have dreamt. There, were, there we were, binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And indeed, your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, shall you indeed reign over us? What are you talking about? Or shall you indeed have dominion? Is that what you're saying? So they hated him even more for his dream and for his words. Then he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Look, I, I've dreamt another dream. And this time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars bowed down. So the sun and the moon, that's mom and dad, and all the sons, they all bowed down to me. So he told it to his father and brothers. And Jacob rebuked him and said, what is this dream that you have dreamt? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come and bow down to the earth before you, you little pibsqueak? I mean, that's really what they're saying. And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Very interesting. Back to chapter 43, verse 29. We come to Joseph's love for his family. This is his heart for his family. Verse 29, then he lifted his eyes and he saw his brother Benjamin. So he, this is the second time he sees Benjamin. Notice, his mother's son. And he said, is this your younger brother of whom you spoke to me? And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. Now, his heart yearned for his, he, he wanted to reach out and grab his brother. He, 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 he's in love with his brother. He hasn't seen him for 22 years and he just, I mean, can you imagine? I mean, we're, I go away for two weeks and I can't wait to wrap my arms around my wife and kids. This 22 years. And he has this great emotional response here. Joseph, he made haste and somewhat somewhere to weep. I love the way the text reads there. He's overwhelmed. It's, he sees Benjamin, God, and he runs out. He doesn't want to cry in front of everybody. 
So he runs back into the crying room, and he, and he just bawls his eyes out. He just weeps in tears and because of this emotional response. He sees his brother that he hasn't seen all this time that he, he played with and he, he loved as he helped raise, you know, his mother's son, his, his actual biological brother here. As soon as he gets close to Benjamin, he just loses it all. Verse 31, then he washed his face. He came out and restrained himself. And he said, okay, it's time to eat. Let's serve the bread. So they set him a place by himself, verse 32. So look, no, you got to recognize this. First you have Joseph all by himself. Because the Egyptians, oh, and, and them by themselves. So he sits in one table. Then you have a table for the Egyptians. It says, uh, who ate with him by themselves. Because Egyptians could not eat food with Hebrews. Or anyone, for that matter, Egyptians would not intermarry. Egyptians wouldn't intermix or any of that stuff. They saw everyone else as inferior. The mighty pyramids, the mighty Egyptians, you know. They weren't going to ruin their race with any intermarriage. They wouldn't allow it in their society. And so you have these separate tables. Joseph, they know Joseph's not one of them, but he's so wise, he has his own table. Then you have the Egyptians that are in the room at this party. And then you have this third table where the brothers are all sitting together at a separate table. Right? All in front of Joseph, though. Joseph's at the head table, then you have these other tables. And this whole separation thing, where Egyptians wouldn't eat with Joseph or strangers. That's why Joseph ate by himself. And it's, you can read about this. Actually, I spent a little bit of time looking at it, but Herodotus is a Greek historian. He writes extensively about the Egyptians and how this culture went on and on for hundreds of years and they would not intermarry. So you can look it up. Herodotus is the name. He's a Greek historian. He writes about there was an outlaw against intermarriage and all. Now, I bring that up because, again, this is all part of God's plan to get Israel out of Canaan and down to Egypt. But now that they're in Egypt and they're going to be there 400 years, what would be the normal happenstance? You know, you got guys, you got girl, Egyptian girls, and they're going to intermingle. But they're not going to intermingle. Why? Because the Egyptians, they don't eat dinner with people of a, a different race. If you're not Egyptian, you don't even eat at the same table. Isn't that interesting? But this is all God's plan. This is how awesome God is in his sovereign plan and how it's revealed here. The, uh, God takes his people, Israel, remember Jacob slash Israel, and his family, Israel, comes down. He's going to end up there in Egypt, but they're not going to be messed up with other blood because the Egyptians won't intermarry. And his people are going to be preserved and purified as they're there in Egypt. And again, Joseph, when he sat his brothers down, at the, there's three tables. Joseph's at the head, then you've got the Egyptians, and then you've got the Hebrews. But when he set his brothers down, he did something remarkable here. My next point, he arranges his brothers by birth. Look at verse 33. And they sat down before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked in astonishment at one another. Joseph said, they probably all sat down, you know, in the normal pecking order. And Joseph said, no, and I don't know if he named his name, but you sit there, you sit there, you sit there. And when the brothers sat down and they looked down the line, they go, this is, this is incredible. 
We're in the perfect. How does he know this? How does he know that, that this is the birth order? You know, wouldn't have been sized. They're, they're old, older men. It, it was, had everything to do. Now, maybe they were thinking too, man, this guy's really wise. We heard he was wise, but look how wise he is. He even knows how old we are. But I think there's a lot going on as well. As he, he does that purposely. He puts them in their, their birth order here. And then notice what he does in verse 34. He took servings to each one of, or sent servings, you know, to each put before them. But Benjamin's serving was five times as much as any of theirs. So they drank and were merry with him. They partied on and they had their food and they had a great time together in the, the hall there, in his home with all this food. The brothers, again, they're in this precise order. All 11, except for one. They don't even know they're with their brother at this point. He's laid them out in a perfect order there. And then Benjamin gets more food, and the, the question is why? And I believe that Joseph is testing his brothers again. What kind of character do they have? Are they going to you know, say, how come you gave him more? How are they going to respond to the little, littlest one, youngest one, getting five times? I mean, it would have been obvious, right? Double portions, obvious to me, but five times the portion. Again, will the brothers act in jealousy? Will the brothers respond in, in, in an untoward way? So he's watching, I believe. He serves, serves. He, he's going to serve each one of them, portion, portion, portion. Each one going from the oldest and to the very youngest, he pulls out portion five times. They can't argue with him. He's the second most powerful man in Egypt. But very interesting, and I believe he's looking at them the whole time. How are they going to respond to this? What are they going to do? What kind of character do they have? Again, God could be working as well providentially, teaching them, instructing them as well. As Joseph does that, I, I love that. Joseph was looking for a change of heart. Because what he remembers 22 years ago was when he was pleading don't sell me as he's holding onto the, you know, the, the cage in which he was taken to Egypt. Why are you doing this to me? What, what are you doing as he's going on the you know, route to Egypt and all the brothers are like, get out of here. We could, I mean, they, they hated their brother. And now he's looking at them when he gives the little brother five times when he looks, he looks at them. Very interesting, isn't it? He's trying to figure them out. Where are their hearts really at? Someone said this, Joseph's brothers provide an excellent illustration of salvation. When these ungodly men face Joseph, who is a righteous man, he's righteous. Number one, they're afraid. They perceive their only salvation was in their works. They brought lots of money. They wanted to pay it off. They wanted to do it that way, but that's not the way God works. The first work or offer to be received or saved in a sense was food and and money and it was refused by the steward the second was ignored by joseph in other words their works wouldn't save them that's the way it is for you and i our works don't save only by the grace of god are we saved joseph is really a classic study when you look at his life you see so many parallels with christ 
Again, I love that truth about him. Today, we have people that go to church. If I go to church, if I'm good enough, I can get to heaven. If I'm not like the murderer on the weekly news, the nightly news, then I'm a good guy and, I, and I'm, I'm good enough to go to heaven. Or, or I, I'm going to do some uh, work and give a little bit of money here, give a little money there. I'm going to obey the golden rule and just be a good person. In other words, they're, they're working to earn their salvation. It doesn't work, does it? Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says that we're saved by grace. We're saved by faith or by grace through faith alone. We can't work. We can't earn our salvation. Salvation is a gift of God to any that will receive it. doesn't matter who you are, where you are. But again, this wonderful, wonderful example of this man, Joseph. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the word tonight here in the Old Testament. And how many wonderful parallels we see with Christ How many wonderful truths we see as as you work providentially to get your will done in this family that you've chosen. And from this family comes the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Oh, the work that you'll do in their lives to hone them, to shape them, to make them into what you want them to be. And I, I just pray tonight, Lord, if there's anyone here struggling, Maybe they're living like Jacob, lying, self-centered, poor decisions, buying, trying to buy their way out of their problems. Lord, teach us from your word. Help us to know, Lord, there's a path for us to walk on. Help us to be obedient, Lord, to your word, and that all of us in this room could say first that, that we've trusted Christ as Lord and Savior. We surrendered our whole life to him. And secondly, we, we understand and, and look back in our past and see you providentially working to bring us to this place in our life. And Lord, that we might rejoice, thanking you for your grace and your mercy and the wonderful life that you've allowed us to live. Lord, may we honor you in every decision. May we pray and put you first. And Jesus, we pray. Amen.